So Thessalonians, uh, I've got a map here. Did you guys get that picture, Mike? Right? So check this out. Here's a map. Just to give you an idea where Thessalonica is at. Uh, the the church in Thessalonica was established on Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, you can read about it in Acts 17. Sort of went the way it goes a lot of times with church plants. Paul would go in and speak to um, the synagogue, to the Jews in the synagogue. And some would believe and some wouldn't. And then he would go and speak to the Gentiles. And then that would generally cause a problem. And it did in Thessalonica. And eventually the Jews there revolted, drug out a guy named Jason. That's all we know about him. Drug him out of his house uh, to, to basically deal with those issues, right? Um, when they moved on from Thessalonica, they went to Berea. And then there, the church in Thessalonica or the Jews in Thessalonica heard about it in Berea. They came over there and caused trouble. Church got started in a very difficult environment. So here's the map, as you can see over here on this far corner, all the way down here is Jerusalem, right? Uh, the, the land of Canaan, right? The promised land. This is where the, where Jesus walked all the way up in Macedonia, all the way up over in Macedonia, you will see Thessalonica. Paul traveled there with Silas on his second missionary journey. And that is where that church was started. Uh, Macedonia was a province of the, of the Roman empire. Thessalonica became the capital of the Macedonian province under Roman rule. So you get a feel for, uh, geography, where it's at in relationship to Athens and Greece and Italy and Rome. Uh, but it gives you a feel for where Thessalonica is at. So of all the churches that Paul wrote about or wrote to in the New Testament, this is the one church that he finds to be doing a great job, right? This is the, if, if Corinth and the church in Corinth is the worst church that Paul deals with as far as all their struggles, Thessalonica is all the way to the other extreme. This is a great church, right? This is a church that Paul just, just lavishes on compliments of how well they're doing. Now, we get to the second letter. He's going to deal with a couple concerns eventually that they have. But for the most part, this is a church that Paul ultimately in chapter 2 calls his joy in his crown. Right? That's how faithful these people are and continue to be. And so for you know, a new perspective, we're going to look at a healthy church. We're going to take some time to walk through these letters and find out what a healthy church looks like, what a healthy church does, and hopefully learn some of those things for our own benefit. So for Thessalonians, we're going to cover a chapter a week, uh, do our best. So if you don't mind standing, we're going to read these 10 verses out of chapter one, just to sort of get you started here of what we're, of what we're going to be dealing with. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always, Paul says, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you. 
Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You can be seated. So you can get a sense, right, that Paul loves this church. And not only does he love them, he loves the life that they're living and the way that they're living out of faith, right? Their work prompted by faith, their labor prompted by love, their steadfastness prompted by hope. This is a great church, right? So years ago, I was sick. This was a long time ago. This was probably 1980, probably 1989, 1990. I got sick and I went to the doctor and he wanted to give me amoxicillin. First time I'd ever taken amoxicillin. And he asked me, he said, are you allergic to amoxicillin? I said, I don't know if I am or not, right? So he said, well, let's give it a try. So he prescribed me amoxicillin and I took it. And guess what? I was allergic to amoxicillin. I broke out in a rash. And so I went to the doctor and I'm like, you know, what's going on? And he said, you're allergic to amoxicillin. And he gave me Benadryl. Anybody ever take Benadryl? Right? I'd never taken a Benadryl in my entire life. So he said, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a prescription for Benadryl. Take 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 one a day, right? Until the rash is gone. Alright? I mean I was a dumb kid. I didn't know. I said, okay. So he gave me Benadryl, I took it. I took a pill. I woke up twenty-two hours later. <laughs> I am not kidding you, I fell asleep on my office floor. Right. I don't, I do not. I remember taking it and I remember waking up going, man, that was a great sleep. Like, and my wife's like, you slept for 22 hours, like totally underestimated the power of a Benadryl. I can tell you, I've never taken one since because now I'm just scared to like, I don't have enough days to lose one to sleep. Okay. Like, so I've never taken one, but I underestimated completely the power of the Benadryl. Ever underestimate anything in your life? Right? Man, I tell you what, if you got any wisdom, you make that mistake about once, right? Like if you underestimate something and you learn from it, you try not to ever do that again. Like I will never, I, I don't care. I won't ever take Benadryl again. Just because I don't want the ester, people are like, well, you could just cut it in half. Have you seen the size of these pills? Like I would cut my finger off before I cut that thing in half, right? When I read this chapter, that was the word that kept sticking out in my head. Underestimating, right? And so what I want to do is I want to point out, I want to point out three areas that I think this chapter says to us, don't underestimate these things. Don't underestimate them. And here's the first one. It's found in verses four and five, right? 
And, and again, if you're, if you've got your, your phones and you're using them through the YouVersion Bible app, if you just log on to the YouVersion Bible app, you can click, it'll show you live events, click on Tomoka, all of our notes for our services, both on the weekend, on Tuesday, and on Wednesday nights are all right there during the service. So you can find the notes for tonight there, or you can just follow along. But here's the first thing. Don't underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? Don't underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what verses 4 and 5 say. Right, Verses 4 and 5 says, So Paul says, We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you because, listen to this, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. I talk to people regularly, not a lot, but regularly, who are frustrated because they're like, you know, my brother or my sister or my friend or this particular relative or coworker, I just, I just can't seem to get them to understand the gospel. I can't get them, I can't get them to, to accept it or believe it. And I just, Pastor Court, I just don't know what else to do. Can you, can you sit down with me and, and, and help me understand what I can say to them to just get them to understand it? And the first thing I will tell them is, that's the wrong approach. Because the minute you start telling me how God's not effectively using you to reach somebody, the first thing I think is, the Holy Spirit has got to go before you. Because we, listen, we make this mistake a lot in lots of different ways. But I'm just going to key on this one at first. We make the mistake of thinking that the Holy Spirit doesn't have enough power to convict your kids. Right? Doesn't have enough power to convict your spouse. Doesn't have enough power to convict your neighbor. Listen, one of the biggest mistakes Christians make regularly is they underestimate the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read a couple scriptures here real quick. 1 Corinthians 2. Paul, right? Paul talking to a church that's a mess. They've made way too big a deal about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. They've misused the gifts. It's just a disaster of a church. Paul writes these words and talking about the work of the Spirit. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with elegance or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Listen, elegance and, and, a, and being a wordsmith, not necessary to be a preacher. And thank God for that, right? It's not, it's not the way God works through His Word. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, and I came to you in fear, and I came to you with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, part of the problem is, is that when you and I begin to overestimate our value and leading our children to Jesus and leading our neighbors to Jesus, that somehow it's your wisdom and your words that have to be eloquent and persuasive, you've completely eliminated the Spirit's power. Listen, it is the Holy Spirit's work to do just what you're hoping your words will do. Paul says we use our words to build up and encourage, right? To spur one another on. We often think God make us the tip of the spear, 
right? Make me the tip of the spear in the conversation so that in the moment, I'll be able to see the light bulb go off because of my persuasive words, right? Preachers all the time. I just, I really hope that they think I'm funny. Who cares if the church thinks you're funny? Who cares if they laugh at your jokes? Who cares if you use the perfect word or you botch this word? The reality is the gospel works best through the Spirit's power and not through your persuasive words. Right? Like, listen. And, and listen, you're talking to a guy that likes words. All right? Listen, I can go off. And I'm, I'm highly intelligent. Okay? incredibly eloquent and persuasive, right? And I've got five millennials that call me dad. And here's what I've tried to learn as I've gotten older and wiser. The less cord speaks, the greater chance they have to hear God. And that is so true for all of you. Listen, you want somebody you know and love to accept Jesus, you best be praying for the work of the Spirit. Because if the only work that's going on is you on Facebook, on Instagram, on text, on the phone, in the face, every chance you get, giving them the business, they're never going to listen. And here's why. Because they couldn't hear God through you if they wanted to. Because it is God's work that does the conviction. Listen to this verse, John 16, 7. John 16, 7, 7 through 11 says, I tell you, this is Jesus the night before he leaves. And he's already told them, I got to go. And they're like, please don't go. And he's like, I got to go because if I go, the Holy Spirit's coming. And here's what he says. I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. These people are sitting in a darkened room upstairs knowing. And they're like freaking out. And he's like, it's a good thing I'm leaving. Right? And they're like, so he, sa- he explains it. Unless I go away, the counselor. Right? The paraclete in Greek. Right? The one who will come alongside of you. Right? He will not come to you. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. Listen to this. Listen to what the work of the Spirit is in the world that you and I live in today. When the Spirit comes, he will what? Come on, everybody say the word convict. Right? That is a legal term used in court as the result of evidence presented. He will do the work of conviction. Right? He will convict the world of guilt in regard to what? Nobody ever is convicted of guilt for their sin because you were eloquent and persuasive with your words. Only the Holy Spirit. You want your children to know Jesus? Man, you better love on them and encourage them. You better pray over them. But you better sick the Holy Spirit on them. Because there is nobody a heart's going to... Jeremiah said it in Jeremiah 17. The heart's deceptive above all things. Who could know it? You Listen, you think that you're smart enough to know what's in the heart of your children? You are playing a fool's game. You don't have a clue what your 16-year-old daughter's thinking. And if you did, you'd run screaming from the house. I guarantee it. Right? But you want to know who knows what's in the heart of your child? God. And you want to know who's... You want to know who knows the heart of God? The Holy Spirit. You want, you want to see, you want to see change. You got to use the Holy Spirit. He's going to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. He's going to convict the world of righteousness and judgments, right? In regard to sin, because men don't believe in me, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? I got people who don't know Jesus. How do I get them to Jesus? Pastor Court, I'm just, I'm, I've run out of things to say. I need you to give me this. And they, no, no, no. Shh. 
The Holy Spirit will do that. Have you prayed for the Holy Spirit to do what he promised he would do? And if you had just, have you, have you kept praying? Right? In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to go to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit's going to do everything you want to see done in the life of somebody that you love. Don't underestimate the power of the Spirit. Paul said that, that the Word of God came to them in power and conviction through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you want to see change in the world? Anybody in here want to see change in the world? Right? Anybody online want to see change in the world? Listen, you know where change comes from? It changes from the work. It changes when the work of the Holy Spirit changes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. You want to know how that happens? You engage the work of the Spirit. You're not the agent of conviction. You're the agent of comfort. Right? You're the agent of encouragement. Right? You're the agent of sharing the reason why you have hope. But the agent of conviction and change, it ain't a parent, and it ain't a grandparent, and it ain't a pastor. It's not your spouse. Right? The agent of change and conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of people. Right? Paul says this in John 16, 13. He said, when, when he, the spirit of truth comes, listen, listen to what else he's going to do. He's going to guide you into all rot. He's going to guide you into all truth. Here's what I know about this room and about everybody online. We all parent a little bit differently. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Listen, if you sit in my house and you listen to some of my parenting truths, some of you would walk out and go, I'm finding a new church. And I guarantee if I sat in some of your houses and listened to your parent truths, I would go, we got to kick them out of our church. Right? Like... Like your truth and my truth are different, right? And I've got a 25-year-old daughter with a two-year-old in my house and I can guarantee you her truth is different than mine, right? I mean, she does things with a two-year-old. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, put that boy in his place, right? Here's what it says. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all what? What did Jesus say? I am the what? I am the way, I am the... And I am the life. You want to know how people get connected to all truth? Truth that's Jesus. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take wise and eloquent words by a pastor or a parent. Those words are for other things. To build up and not tear down. To speak with grace. Right? That's what our stuff does. So he's not going to speak on his own. And here's the great part. The Holy Spirit isn't a rogue agent. Holy Spirit's not going to speak. He's only going to speak what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Holy Spirit's going to work direct authority of God. That's how he's going to speak. He's going to go and he's going to bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. How cool is that? The Holy Spirit comes and he takes from what is God and Jesus and he brings it to us. Amen, right? What a great thing. Best thing you can do and I can do, stay out of that lane. Right? He goes on to say, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. One more verse. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity... But a spirit of what? Read it with me, church online. Read it with me. But a spirit of? And of? And of? Listen, that same power that the Holy Spirit comes with lives in you. 
And for some of you, this isn't about the work of the Spirit in other people's lives. For some of you, it's the work of the Spirit in your own life. Listen, I love YouTube. But YouTube has been the downfall of people reading their Bible. Because it's become a form of gospel for people. Have you listened to so-and-so? Man, right? You ought to hear these. Listen, there are so many self-help people out there today. It's unbelievable. You ever been to a bookstore and looked at the self-help section? Everybody's got a book about how to make you better. Right? And some of you in here and some of you watch online have tried all of it. The reality is, is that many Christians underestimate the very power the Spirit has in your own life. Paul did not, Paul wrote to Timothy and said this, listen, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, right? Timidity is the idea of being afraid, right? But the spirit that lives in us, that lives in you is full of power. Everybody say power, right? Dunamis from the Greek, which we get our word dynamite from. Do you know what dynamite does? It changes the molecular structure of anything it's connected to. Right? It changes. You want change? Lean into the Spirit. Because the power of the Spirit can change you. Because it brings power, it brings love, and it brings self-control. For some of you, you've underestimated the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other people. And you think you're the agent of change. You are not. I am not. When I realized that my job as a pastor was twofold, to rightly divide the word of truth and to make sure that I equip saints for the work of ministry, my perspective as a pastor changed immensely. God was never, ever going to use my words or my wisdom to change his soul. And I've got 50 years of evidence to back that up. But I've watched God's spirit through his word do remarkable things. I've watched God's spirit through God's word change people that I never thought was possible to change. And I've baptized people here and in the ocean that have 12 years of being here, I never thought I would see. Because there's no reason to underestimate God's power. Now listen, don't for a second think that I'm saying to you as a parent that you have no responsibilities. You do. You know, don't, don't, make that silly mistake that you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater in this conversation. But too many times we get the order wrong. Me first and then God doing the work. I don't care how good you are, how great a parent you are, how smart you are, how much you love your kids. If you get in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit, you get in the way of the work of God in the life of that person. You want to see change in that person? Man, every day. I've got two people in my life I love, and I pray every day one prayer. God, unleash the Holy Spirit on those people. Because what's he going to do? He's going to provide conviction of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. And he's also going to guide him into all truth. What do I offer that stands up against that? Nothing. And for you in here and online who are just struggling with the same thing over and over, listen, don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Right? That same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, that same power lives where? In us. Listen, if the Holy Spirit can bring life to a dead man, the Holy Spirit can change you. Can I hear an amen? Right? And listen, if the Holy Spirit can raise a dead man, the Holy Spirit can change your husband. 
And if the Spirit of God can raise a dead man, the Spirit of God can change your wife. You see, we, we say, oh, God can change people, but we never believe it. We won't believe it. You know why? Because we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe in change, then what do you believe the Holy Spirit does? The Spirit changes people because it breaks hearts. It, it makes spirits right weaken before God to where God can draw near to those people and He can revive them and He can change them. If you don't believe the Spirit has the power to do that, then what in the world do you believe in? Most of you believe in the power of your own, of your own worth and your own words to change that person. Terrible order, right? Don't underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing. Don't underestimate the value of suffering. Don't underestimate the value of suffering. Listen to verse 6. Paul writes in, 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 in 1 Thessalonians 6, You, Paul writes to the church, you became inter- imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite, in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You can go back in Acts 17 and you can read it, Right? This church started with severe suffering. And here's the thing. The suffering of the believers in Thessalonica did not end when Paul left and went to Berea and then went on and on and on to Athens and eventually to Rome. Didn't happen. The believers back in Thessalonica suffered. They suffered at the hands of the Jews because they hated them. They hated the Christians. And the Gentiles suffered at the hands of other Gentiles because they had abandoned their foreign gods. These people, in spite of severe suffering, received the message with joy. I don't know about you, but I like to be comfortable. Anybody else? Like, I am so looking forward to going home tonight. And there being no drama. For Yeah, thank you for laughing. Right? I'm looking forward to going home tonight and there being no drama. I'm looking forward to going home tonight having a nice meal because I haven't eaten yet. I'm looking forward to the night to, 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 to peace and quiet and a house that has air conditioning and nobody's screaming and I can put my foot up or my feet up. Why well, don't I say foot? I don't know. All right? Put my feet up. I can have a, I can have a McDonald's iced coffee. I can, I'm looking forward to being comfortable. Right? And here's the thing. I, I would sort of like that to happen every day. Anybody else with me? Like, I want that kind of world every day. And here's why. Because, man, for me, selfishly, I like that. I like that. I want to be safe and I want to be comfortable sometimes. And here's the thing. At times, we think that environment is the best environment for the gospel to grow. Everything's got to be good, man. Everything's got to be good. Like, we can't have any drama at the church. We can't have any issues going on in the church. Did you hear this is going on in the church? So, and we're like, oh, we got to get rid of that. We got to go confront that right now and get that out because this is happening. Why did that person leave her? Why did that person? We got to have nothing can be amiss because in the environment, we think things best grow when everything's perfect. That is not the case with the gospel. The gospel often grows best when the suffering is the most severe. Why? Because the gospel at its heart is light. And the best place for light to shine is where? In where? In darkness. Listen, if you already have lights on 
and Mike just decides to throw a bunch more lights on, you've just added light to what? To light. But man, when light shows up in darkness, what do the people in darkness feel? Release and relief and hope, right? Listen, here's the thing. We often underestimate an environment that's very hostile. Anybody in here agree that we live in a world that seems to be falling apart? Anybody believe that our country, America, is sort of falling apart? And how many of us want to see it changed right now? See, here's the problem. When everything that you wanted and I wanted was in place, America became the third largest mission field in the world. You want to know why? Because the gospel doesn't often work in an environment when everybody is screaming peace and safety. You want to see the gospel spread? Find an environment where darkness prevails and watch the light of the gospel do its thing. What if... This is a question I've asked myself with my buddies. I've asked myself this personally. What if the season that this nation is in is necessary for the revival of this nation and for the salvation of the inhabitants within it? What if this darkness is necessary for light to finally prevail in our nation? Are you all for it then? Are you? Are you ready to be uncomfortable? Are you ready to live in a regime that wants to take away your freedom? And wants to rob you of the things that you believe as an American. Are you willing to sacrifice that for the sake of the gospel? Because light flourishes in what? You ready for that, America? See, that's the thing. Sometimes we, we want both. And it's a, listen, it's a conflict for many of us. Right? Like, I don't want to go home and be unsafe. And I don't want to go home and be uncomfortable. Like, I don't want that. But God, what if God needs more darkness for the light to finally penetrate the people of this nation? Are you for it? Man, I am. Well, Cord, that might not mean, that might not mean things are going to go well for you as an American. Okay. I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to deal with that. You see, we underestimate the value of suffering. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. Romans 8, 18 through 21. And listen, I'm not, I'm not. You, if you know me, you know this is true. I, I, I'm not a politic person because I'm a Jesus person. If I wasn't a Jesus person, I'd be a politic person. But because I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm not a politic person. I'm a gospel of Jesus person. I am an eternity person. This, this world is not my home, baby. I'm just passing through, right? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond this blue, right? Like I'm going to live, I'm going to live where my permanent home is. I'm a foreigner, an alien, and a stranger in this place, right? I am far more about Jesus than I am about politics. So my rant is not about politics. My rant is about the gospel. What is it going to take for people who live in this nation to accept Jesus? Maybe it's going to take severe suffering. Maybe it's going to take an environment where we've underestimated the value of soil that gets turned up pretty roughly. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider our present sufferings, Paul writes, aren't worthy or aren't worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Create, listen, listen to the world you live in. Creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. You want to know why creation is groaning for sons of God to be revealed? Because when we're finally revealed to the world, this mess is over. 
right? They, the earth finally gets consumed and we get a new heaven and a new earth. They're waiting for the moment of Jesus' return, right? For the creation. Listen, listen to the world you live in. The world, the creation was subjected to what? Everybody say this F word. Frustration. The world you live in has been subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it in hope. Listen, the world you live in is frustrated. You want to know why it's frustrated? Because it's broken and fallen and corrupt, right? Things in this world, oh, the nature is such a brutal thing. Man, the animals are just, that was not God's plan. You realize that it wasn't the plan of God for a cheetah to chase down an antelope and rip off its head, right? Like that wasn't the intent of God's creation. God's creation was intended to live perfect. But in a fallen world, we isolate the gazelle who's the weakest and we rip it from limbs and we feed our babies and our feed our animal infants on it because that's what nature does. Why? Because it's frustrated and it's groaning and it's in bondage to its own decay. Right? Paul says, but in that environment, we hope. We hope. That's where hope springs in that environment, that the creation itself, why? Our hope is that the creation itself is going to be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into what? The glorious freedom of the children of God. What if we've underestimated the value of a world that has more darkness than light? What if we've underestimated the value of suffering and how the gospel can be received in it? How about this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 12? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, right? If you know Jesus, say amen. If you're online or in here one more time, say amen. amen. The light of the gospel, the light of the gospel is in your heart, right? To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the light that God has in the gospel lives in you. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So if the light in you needs to get out, what's God going to do to get it out? Paul tells us. We have the treasure of the light of the gospel of knowledge of Jesus in jars of clay. You know what he just called the jar of clay? Your what? Your body. Your body's a jar of clay. That's what God thinks of it. You go to the gym and think it's amazing. He thinks it's a jar of clay, right? You've got, and why did he put it in a jar of clay? To show that this all surpassing power, what power? The power of the light of the gospel, right? Of the glory of Jesus is from him and not from you. God is not in the inter- God is not interested in making you amazing. God is interested in you making him amazing, Right? How does he do it? We are hard pressed on every side. Anybody ever feel hard pressed on every side? Right? He says, but we are not crushed. He says, we're perplexed. Anybody perplexed? Yes, me. But you're not in despair. Anybody ever feel persecuted? Yeah. Right? Not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we're always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. You know what he's doing? He's squeezing. right? He's taking that jar of clay and he's squeezing it. And he's perplexing it. And he's knocking it down. Why? Because he needs a crack. He needs a crack in your jar to do what? So the light of the glory of the gospel can be revealed. 
So what if you've underestimated, listen, what if I have underestimated the value of suffering in my life? What if my incessant desire to always go home and be comfortable has, has made me ineffective in the gospel? What if I avoid being hard-pressed or perplexed? What if I don't like the concept? Here's the problem. If you don't like it, God's going to squeeze harder. Because you know what God cares about? Dude, you got that light of mine in you. This little light, I'm going to let it shine. I can tell you this, if you ain't going to let it shine, He's going to squeeze you till some of it comes out. And we underestimate the value of that. I have. I know I have. And as I've gotten older... Man, please don't bother me. Like, I want some peace and calm. When I, what I should want is some more squeezing and some more perplexing and some more being knocked down. Because in that jar of clay is the only thing that's going to save people's souls. Right? So you got to get it out. So he says, for we who are alive always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why do you think we're... Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Why do you think God needs you to die? Because in that thing, in your death, every day, the life of Jesus gets to be seen. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. How about this one? Last one, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Right? 4, 16-18. So he summarizes all this and he says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Listen, I don't know what you're going through. You may be hard-pressed, perplexed. You may feel knocked down. Right? You may feel persecuted. Listen. Don't lose heart. See the purpose and the value of it, right? Because the best thing in you is what God put in you, and that is the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus, right? God's got to get that out of you. Listen, you may know every algebraic equation. You may be able to spew economic theory until Jesus comes back. You may be the best political aficionado that I know. You may be able to tell me everything there is about the coronavirus and the vaccine. But here's the thing. The best part about you is what God put in you. And that's the light of the gospel. And he says, don't lose heart, though outwardly you're wasting away. Listen, I apologize. We have done nothing here at the church to make you feel better, look better, be richer, buy more houses, get promotions. Listen, we haven't done any of that for you. We're sorry. Right? Some of you look in the mirror and go, gosh, I've been at Tomoka for 10 years. I look like I've aged 40. Right? Listen, we haven't done anything to help you in that regard. Here's the reason why. Because when they inwardly, back up, back up one verse there, Mike. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Don't tell me age is just a number. Because every minute we live, we're wasting away. Why? Look what happens. Inwardly, we're being what? Renewed day by day. Listen, the more we decay outwardly, the more that our outward exterior gets pulled away from us, the more access to the light people have. And what if we've underestimated the value of suffering to do that? He says, in we were being wasted, listen to this, for our light and momentary troubles, what are they doing? They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen for what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Man, don't underestimate the power of suffering. Don't underestimate the value of a church that's in conflict, of a home that's in conflict, 
of suffering that exists on a nationwide level. Because the value of darkness is that in that space, light makes all the difference in the world. Amen, church? Last one, don't underestimate the value of a life well lived. I might don't need to spend a lot of time on this. Listen to these verses in, in 7 through 10. Listen to what he said. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia in a Roman province. The Lord's message, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith. Everybody say your faith. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from God, turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Listen. Don't underestimate the value of a life well lived. Paul said of this church, here's the best thing about you. The gospel rang out from you because your faith set the tone for what kind of people you really were. And here's the thing about a life well lived. It validates everything you say you believe in. Listen. I will drink a McDonald's iced coffee over Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Wendy's, whatever shams out there. I'm going to drink at McDonald's. You want to know why? Because I think McDonald's iced coffee is the best. Anybody else with me? Two people saved in this room. Thank you, Jesus, right? Now, you've heard me say it. You've heard me online say it. If tomorrow you see me in the drive-thru at Dunkin', after I made this huge speech about McDonald's and you see me and Duncan, what will you think about my big speech? Go ahead. He's a what? He's a liar. Right? Here's the thing. You want to know how to validate what you believe in? How many of you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God here and online? Say amen. Right? How many of you believe that by putting your faith in Jesus, you can be, that you will be saved eternally? Somebody say amen. amen. You want to know how to make that speech valid to the people around you? Live a good life. Listen to these verse. Listen to this verse in, in, um, go to Titus chapter two, six through eight. Titus two. He says, similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what's good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. You, you want to know how to make an impact with what you believe? Stop preaching and stop and start practicing. Just said this the other day. When everything is said and done, there's almost always more said than done. Right? Listen, how many of you want to see somebody come to faith because you said something amazing or you showed them something amazing? You want to know how to get your faith to ring out across the world, not just in Volusia County in Florida, but across the known world? Live a good life. Live a good life. He goes on to say, listen to what it says in Peter, First Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Listen, context is king. If you think that you belong to this world, you're already going to dismiss this. But if you see yourself as an alien stranger, you're going to love this because this is great advice. He says, abstain from sinful desires, 
because they war against your soul. Live, listen to this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. That means your life was so well lived that when God showed up for judgment, they were ready. We underestimate the value of just living a good Christian life. He says, submit yourselves to the Lord. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. This was, this was written to people who were living under the Roman Empire. He said, whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, listen to this, for it's God's will that by doing good, that by doing good, you should, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to silence the talk of foolish men and ignorant people in our world, right? You want to know how to do it? Stay off Facebook. Stay off Instagram. Stop posting things and start living a good life. You want to know how more effective we can be in the world today? We live our life so well among the pagans that on the day that Jesus returns, they glorify him. Man, I never, I'm never going to take Benadryl again. I made the mistake of underestimating it once. I will never do that again. Man, I'm, I'm praying that you in here and you guys online, we don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. That we won't underestimate we won't underestimate the value of suffering. And we certainly will stop undervaluing and underestimating the value of a life well lived. Let's pray. God, thank you for, uh, man, thank you for this church. What an amazing church that in the midst of a mess, they got things started. And yet somehow, man, their faith exploded across the known world to where it just rang out to everybody. Father, make us a church just like that. Make us a church that doesn't underestimate the things that will make a difference in this world. So grateful that we could get things started tonight, Lord. I just pray your blessing upon the students out there, Lord, that that it'll be a great place for some of these students to get connected and to get started and to, to hear and to see the goodness of Jesus. And the same for the children, we pray, Father, that in each of these opportunities we gather, that those seeds planted can continue to be watered. And Father, for our time here, I just pray that you'll use it to, to mature us to the point that we're willing to surrender ourselves in work of the kingdom until the day that you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.